Hello and welcome back to Diehards and Glory Hunters. We've got an Ian waiting to talk to us about their favourite team today. But as ever, we're going to start with the scouting report. And this week, I think I may have set the record for um, focusing on a player who has played the fewest amount of professional games and yet still been featured as a sort of talent to look out for. And that's because the player um, this week is Tarek Lamptey, who plays for Brighton. And the reason that um, he is, he's the featured player this week is because he has come to my eye very literally in the last week or so because um, he's played a couple of games for Brighton. I think, I think I'm right in saying they're his first appearances for Brighton. Um, and it, scouting report applies very, very well to Lamptey because I think I've seen him play all three of his professional appearances. And each time I've seen him play, I keep thinking what a talent this boy is really. Um, so he, he moved from Chelsea in January um, after making one appearance for us. And the appearance that he did make was away at Arsenal. He came on at around half time when we were one nil down and we actually won that game 2-1. And even though he didn't, directly assist or score in that game he made a real difference down that right hand side um and i and the club actually didn't want to let him go um but in fairness to him and i think this is this is a real um statement of intent and perhaps a sign of a good character as well as his playing ability is that he wanted to leave because i guess he didn't see a route into the first team with the number of right backs that chelsea have got and so he's he's just started to make his way into the brighton team um, and I think he's he's really one to keep an eye on for the, uh, in the future. There's a lot of um, talented right-sided players, especially defensive players, um, in England right now. But I definitely think that if Brighton stay in the Premier League and continue to push in the next couple of years, Tarek Lamptey is one to keep an eye out for. Okay, so now that's out of the way, I can welcome our fan of the week. And this week, it is my good friend, Frederick Spencer. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited for this. <laughs> yeah, we've been looking forward to this one for a while. <laughs> so, Fred, Fred, who is your chosen team? Who's the team you support? Uh, I support Fulham. So it's not everyone okay. you get to speak a lot about Fulham. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, exactly. Um, and as as always, question I first question I ask every one of um our fans is why and when did you start supporting them i remember so in a way the title of this podcast is quite appropriately um appropriate for the reason i support fulham thank because, you because um <laughs> when i remember the great escape when roy hodgson was managing fulham and it was at a time at school where i was rather like apathetic to football teams i sort of loved watching football but i didn't really have a preference and I wanted mm -hmm. to support a London club that I could see. But also I was so fed up with every single person in the class supporting Arsenal. Right. So I chose the mighty Fulham, remembering how they escaped relegation and also because of the Norwegian bias I have. So obviously at that time, Breda Hangland had just moved into the team and we had Bjorn Arnarisa as well. Right. And I think Sasha Ritha was German, not Norwegian, but that's sort of how it started. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, despite the relegation, the relegation again, I've just stuck with it and enjoyed it and love going to Craven Cottage. 
Okay, so it sounds like you almost, which is, I think this is a first on the podcast, really, you've almost picked Fulham as your team as a point of difference. Like you deliberately didn't want to pick one of the big London clubs in your area. Um, and, and, and of course, you mentioned the, the Norwegian link there, which obviously comes back to mm. your own family history. So that's very, very interesting. Um, and what, what was the first season that you remember when you were actually you know, following the club as a fan? I remember, so definitely like when I was following Fulham day by day, it was during the Great Escape. And it was a case of, I always remember that match. I think, yeah, it was against Man City on the last day of the season where we somehow pulled it back, scoring like two goals to stay in. And it was like such an exciting club to support at that moment. Because it's one of those teams that I feel is always kind, slightly underachieved in terms of the amount of money that we've spent. Mm-hmm. whilst also being quite a small club and then of course the season after was um a very exciting one getting into the Europa League final but I'm sure we'll come on to that later yeah yeah absolutely um so we'll have a, a brief moment to talk about where we are where Fulham are right now um how have you how has this season gone for you and how likely do you think promotion is um, in the coming weeks? I think so far the season is what you would expect for having a coach who's never managed another team before. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a sense, I, I think he, he attracts a lot of criticism, but I kind of feel for him because he's in a team that was always expected to get promoted. And yep. I think in some ways it's a team that looks better on paper than it is in real life, especially when you okay. can play. Um, do I think he's the right manager? No. Um, and I think he'll probably get sacked if we don't get promoted. Do I right. think we, we can get promoted? I mean, our defence is bad in matches with no pressure. In, in it, mm-hmm. like friendlies, our defence will be all over the place, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like there's no composure back there. It's almost like me finishing in five aside. <laughs> um, it's, it's a case of I can imagine us winning the first match, going into the final and getting absolutely, um, absolutely like a very high scoreline if we go up against someone like Brentford who are much more yeah. solid and counter-attacking. And mm-hmm. I think watching that Brentford match, I mean, I was kind of proved wrong, but I was more scared to face Brentford than I was to face Leeds. Right. Um, so I, I think almost it's in our interest not to get promoted as well, because if we do, I mean, I don't see our team as it stands staying in the Premier League. You think it'd take one more season of rebuilding? Yeah. To be in a position to up. I think the squad needs to be shuffled quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it, yeah, it's interesting with um, Parker because he's sort of um, become one of a few of a, a trend in recent years, which I think is a positive trend in terms of X, um, X obviously pretty good players. I mean, obviously, I don't want to include Parker in the same class as people like Lampard and Gerrard, but he did play for England. He was a you know, a very, very good Premier League midfielder. I think he won Player of the Year when he was playing West Ham, bizarrely, and one yeah. of the weirdest winners of that award. Um, so I think it's been a really good thing that we've started to see young English coaches that were at the top of the game as players 
come into management. However, um, there's also the argument that are they just getting a shot for the sake of it? And is their yeah. name earning them that reputation? And like you said, if he's not the man to get you promoted, then I'm sure most Fulham fans wouldn't particularly mind if he did move on. Mm, I mean, I remember when we were in the Premier League and you got made caretaker and I think we had a good run for about three games. Yep. And then he was appointed manager. And I mean, it's it's far too short term in my opinion. And I think it was about two seasons ago Parker was playing for us. Yeah. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is whether... So there's a lot of the team playing now, for example, Tom Kearney, who would have played alongside Scott Parker. Right. And I'm just wondering how that relationship is structured. It's something that I don't know because I don't see the goings on in the club. Yeah. But I think it would almost be... I think there's... I think there's and my, my perception of it is that there probably is a separation between the manager and the player relationship because of that. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, I think it is also a great trend. But you look at Lampard going back to Chelsea. He had a season at Derby and he was yes. involved in coaching for a lot longer than Parker has been. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah. Um, he, he, I think a lot of people, like, I mean, it's true. I'm not even going to deny it that Frank obviously got the job because of his name at Chelsea. But he did do that year beforehand, which I'm sure has exactly. proved um, invaluable. Yeah. Um, OK, very, very interesting. Right. Right, Fred. Well, we will move on to not so quick fire, quick fire questions. <laughs> I'm very interested to hear. Um, your answers for some of these. Um, and sticking with the, the current team then, who is your favourite current player? I thought about this for a second and there is a very obvious answer in Alexander Mitrovic. Right. But I'm not going to say him because I think it's nice to keep the podcast a bit interesting. I'm going to yes. say someone who might who's a bit more obscure but's really stepped up this season and that's Harrison Reed. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I think he makes our defence look good when he's playing, which says something. And I think the way that Fulham play out from the back, um, and obviously we tend to like push quite high up and play with um, a very high depth, he's so mm-hmm. necessary to make those interceptions. And without him, we can't really play that way. And I think against Brentford, it really showed when he came off and Arta came on. Yeah, it was it was like watching a different team play football. And I mean, I think I think also the way in which the other midfielders can play. So, for example, Tom Kearney, the only reason he can go as far forward as he does often and be as creative is because Harrison Reed is always back there and he's very consistent. Right. Um, um, it's interesting. Uh, sorry. I've no, just no, carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on. It, it's interesting that I, it's almost like if you want some cross cross podcast sort of continuity, um, Fulham has sort of been the team this season because uh, Chand, who we had on last week, who's a who's a Coventry fan, hmm. um, said that his second team was Fulham, and that also living in London, he goes down to see them semi regularly, and he yeah. rightly focused on or rightly or wrongly focused on Kearney and Mitrovic. And similarly, I think it was Pip, the Brighton fan, who said that if he could sign one other player, it would be Mitrovic. So these players sort of get the um, the limelight from other teams. And yet you're saying that as someone who probably watches Fulham week in, week out, yeah. 
it's players like Harrison Reed who really make that team tick. I think it's also a case of being a student and being a Fulham fan. It's not a case of being able to watch Fulham all the time as well. Like you right. have to go to like you have to pay for Sky or whatever, yeah. or like or if there's a, another game on. Let's be honest, the pub isn't going to play the Fulham match now. True. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But now that it's in lockdown and I have much more time, I've been watching them, like, especially the past two games, you sort of really see the difference that he makes. And also, I mean, now when since since lockdown has ended, not ended, but since the premier since the championship has come back. Yeah. Tom Kearney really hasn't looked very good. Mm-hmm. Really, really he hasn't at all. I I don't think he's even made a key pass yet. In the two, in the three games, right? Um, I, I think I, I, I feel like he lacks some sort of intensity in the game, and maybe that's yeah. also a case of coming back from from lockdown and starting again. Yeah, but it's it's quite worrying, especially when it's your captain. Yes, and and, and clearly a very key player as well. Yeah, um, so you know perhaps that that's part of the reason that although you did you did get a win last night um part of the reason why did you see that goal no no who 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 scored the brilliant Um, goal cyrus christie sort of i think it was about 28 yards 29 yards something like that just under 30 cyrus yeah cyrus christie i will i will look that up it was ross-esque (laughs) <laughs> Cyrus Christie that that well I will look that up but I can't imagine yeah, if I typed so in Cyrus Christie won the goal I'm not sure there's going to be many searches so I think I'll find it you will. <laughs> um, I'll give you the link because it's on YouTube that's that's how I for <laughs> it I, I okay start. I'll try and uh, if I find it I'll also try and upload it to the um Die Hards and Glory Hunters social media channel, so everyone else can see it. <laughs> but I'm interested. Clearly, this is worth a worth a look. Okay, so um, right, well, we focused on the the current team. Then let's expand a little bit and let's talk about your favourite player ever. So obviously, with Fulham, there is one person. It's like West Ham. I remember listening to that podcast. Yeah, and the one person who um, West Ham fans have to support, they have to be behind, is uh, Bobby Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Fulham, that the equivalent would be Johnny Haynes. Yes. Just in terms of what he's done for football and as a midfielder playing for England, everything. He's probably the m- most high-profile player. But I'm going to go for someone who was playing when I was watching. When yeah, I was absolutely. Younger, and when I started started like supporting Fulham. Mm-hmm. And that person's going to be Breda Hangland. Okay. And so my reasoning is, I think we saw, he sort of was overlooked in the squad quite a lot for what he was doing. Um, but when he left that season, I think it was after or just before we got relegated. I don't think we've yet found a replacement for him in our defence. Right. And granted, he was getting much older, but he was probably one of the key signings that kept us up that year. Because it was one of those things too, where you needed, where Fulham were okay going forward. We just needed a stronger defence, and he really did provide that. Right. I also remember he was perfectly balanced in terms of physicality. He was good on the ball. 
he was he, he was very consistent through his whole time and also there is there also the implicit norwegian bias yeah but i think i mean he did i think he had quite a good spell at crystal palace after especially for someone in his like early 30s towards the end of his career yeah and there's yeah more, yeah Carry on, sorry, I was no, just trying to think about his palace career. Too, which I found quite funny, which was, do you remember Felix Magath when he came to Fulham? Yes, yes, not I, a particularly successful reign. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how he kept that job for so long. Mm-hmm. But um, Breda Hangland had like, um, had like some sort of injury. And I think it was something about him being suggested to put milk on it. Right. Another player, think of the professionalism to only come out with that story once the manager had been sacked. <laughs> oh, so that was Magat's advice to Breda Hangeland? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that really does That's shed some light on... <laughs> he's, he's absolutely off, like, insane, that guy. And did yeah. you the podcast where Steve Sidwell's talking about him? Mm-hmm. And there was one game where they like where Fulham lost and didn't play very well. I don't know exactly which one it is, but they he took them to the training field, brought out the balls and everything, made everyone stand in their positions like in a four four two. Yeah, and then said you didn't want to run last game, so we're not going to run today. Just kept them in their positions for like two hours, like the whole length of like ninety minutes, the length of the match, and said, okay, now you can go in. I mean, to be fair, I, I remember when he got the job, he sort of had the manner and look of an old school PE teacher. But it sounds like he's got the coaching skill of an old school PE teacher. I mean, that is just teaching. That's treating them like children. How is yeah. that going to motivate people to stay in the Premier League? I mean, it looked doomed from the start. But that, yeah, it's really interesting to hear, isn't it? I love it when um, sort of recently retired players come out and can say the things that they've um They've not been able to for their yeah, entire playing funny. career. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm fair play to Steve Sidwell as well because um, there's a YouTube series as well that that does interviews with ex-footballers, and I, I watched the one with Steve Sidwell, and he was he was very, 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 very interesting on that. I think he's 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 a decent pundit if he does yeah. decide to go into that. Really, I think he comes across as um, Breda Hangland comes across as extremely intelligent as well. Mm-hmm. Like when he's talking in interviews and he has done some stuff with sky before right i think it's testament to how he was as a player um in terms of how he was so good at reading the game i think people always talk about the amount of tackles that centre-backs make but i always remember Breda hangland wasn't really known for that he he would just read the game so well that he would in, almost intercept most of the intercept everything yeah yeah they always say the best centre backs don't need to get a ground. Yeah, just, just, yeah. Um, okay. Well, considering we're sort of talking about in recent years, I guess Fulham's uh, golden era, which I guess would be Hodgson from what's that about two thousand eight to two thousand and ten, eleven ish. Yeah. Um. So, just talk a bit about that that team, and I wonder if um perhaps a couple of your answers to other questions will come from that era. Is that the best Fulham side you can remember? That you've yeah, seen definitely. Um, the football that we played then was really great. And think of the players that we had. We had Gira, had Dempsey, Damien Dunn, yeah. Bobby Zamora. Bobby um, Zamora, McBride, yeah. McBride or McBride. 
Yeah, and, McBride, yeah. Yeah, um, our back four even, Hughes and Hangland, Bjorn Arnarisa, Mm-hmm. Koncheski might be a bit of a liability, but <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think also a lot of th- the things that people look over with uh, Roy Hodgson at Fulham is how good he was for business as well. Like right, I, okay. I looked it up before, and the goalkeeper Schwarzer, who spent ages at Fulham and is one of the fan favourites for goalkeeper, he was signed on a free transfer as yeah. with Zoltan Gira and Chris Smalling. Mm-hmm. And Chris Smalling was later sold on for twelve million to Man United and has had an England career and everything. And so I think, yeah, I, yeah, Chris I think Smalling was signed from Maidstone United or something like that. Yeah. Like, you're you're absolutely bang on. It was a great little bit of business. That great. And also, you think of some of that he bought in Zamora, Andy Johnson, who were also yes, great yeah. players for us in the, at that time. Of I course, just, the um, Musa Dembele. As well, yeah. Um, did he come later? Was he a bit yeah, later? He was, much, he was a bit later. He sort of broke into the championship squad, like oh, right. four years back. Oh no, not the oh, no, not, not that Musa. Yeah, we've got another one too. Yeah, yeah. The yes, of course, the midfielder. Yeah, yeah. No, that is sorry, I should have should have specified sort of later. I think it's not Roy Hodgson. I don't think. Yeah, maybe maybe the Mark Hughes era. But you're yeah. right, very interesting that I, I hadn't even thought about that. But of course, Fulham are a club that have had two successful Moussa Dembele's literally in the last 10 years. What a yeah. coincidence that is. Um, <laughs> OK, so um, we'll return briefly to the current side um, because we're going to flip it on its head and we're going to talk about um, current player that you would get rid of if you were Scotty Barker in the summer. I don't think he's going to be there at the summer. <laughs> well, maybe the job movie. will be available then, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I, I have a good performance on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, who's that? Yeah, well, if the Fulham chairman's listening, get him in. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think for me, um, especially this season, I think so. I'm going to say Tim Ream. And this isn't a player that I don't like as per se. I wouldn't say that I don't like him. Okay. But it's a player that it has had his best days in the past. Yeah. And it's it's time for him to move on. I think this season there was the game against Manchester City in the FA Cup. And in like the 15th to 20th minute, he decided it was a good idea to get a red card. Right. <laughs> um, and, and Fulham spent the next... 80 like 60 to 70 minutes of this match just de- defending against Manchester City and yeah. we can't defend anyway so it's the worst game I've ever watched <laughs> yeah um, okay but um I think he's getting a bit too old now um also he seems to be what was really weird for me to look at is I was sort of looking at the defenders in the championship and who has the highest passing accuracy and actually, oh, okay. you've done your research. Really I like very it. Very high up there. I think it was like ninety percent or something. And I really don't understand how it can be that high, given the amount of times he's been responsible for giving the ball away as the last man. And I think, um, yeah, it must be just the passes that he makes. 
Do you know, it's very interesting that you've said that because I have a very similar opinion about a centre-back for Chelsea who I saw the other day has incredibly high passing stats. And that is Andreas Christensen. Mm. And I, I mean, I think this is perhaps a slightly unpopular opinion. And I apologise to Fulham fans for briefly switching the conversation to Chelsea, but it is relevant to Dim Ream as well. <laughs> and that is that I actually think sometimes that stat is incredibly misleading because what it suggests is that they're centre-backs who do absolutely nothing with the ball yeah. other than pass it either to their full-back on their right or left or the other centre-back and never hit a pass into midfield. No, because it's those, it's those passes into midfield that are the ones that are likely to be intercepted. Um, oh. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think that stat actually often means absolutely nothing. Exactly, yeah. Um, uh, so uh, whether it's Tim Ream or Andreas Christensen, you're frauds, basically. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I would take Andreas Christensen. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think you would bring say- him to the Fulham squad at this at this time. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, there, there we go. That could be. <laughs> we'll do a swap deal. Tim Ream for Andreas Christensen. <laughs> um, okay. Um, well, considering that we're talking about players that you, you'd have at Fulham, then why not? ask you the next one which is who would you sign um so this is one that i sort of have come to after watching the fulham brentford match and sort of reflecting on the rest of the season in the championship and looking at the stats and everything and that is pontus jansen okay brentford um i think for fulham it's key that we have a center back who is also decent on the ball as well as solid and I think you can't question that Janssen is good defensively and is a good reader of the game. Absolutely. But, um, I think one th- one stat that I saw, which I think is, was incredible, he has like an 81% forward passing accuracy as a centre-back, mm-hmm. which is, in my, in my opinion, that's very impressive. And I think when you watch Fulham play now, it feels like Michael Hector's passing accuracy is much lower than Reams, but he is sort of the balls being given to him in these tight situations and he's playing his way out of them or finding the right ball. So that's what would be expected. Mm-hmm. And I think it would take a lot of pressure off him if Pontus Janssen was in the side. Okay, yeah, it's interesting because we, oh, I mean, for some reason, this has sort of ended up being the um, the, the centre back debate. But to quote another podcast, which is very, very good, which is the Not, not the Top 20 podcast hmm. they were talking about how impressive michael hector has yeah been i agree with that completely yeah so you think he needs a quality partner is what you're saying yeah honestly i think for chelsea i don't understand like i, I had never heard of him when we signed him mm-hmm. and watching him play it was sort of like how has this guy not been more prominent in football um mm-hmm. i think for me he looks like the best centre back that we even had would have had during the Premier League era, like when we yeah. were just recently in the Premier League and got relegated, and he would have helped us a lot then. Um, right. And you think I th- I don't think we I I think the fees undis- undisclosed, but I I don't know how much we paid for him, but it was nothing near how much we paid for Alfie Mawson. Yeah, it's not yeah, really absolutely. Been a great signing, has it? Hmm. No, no, it's a, no, it's a good point. And I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of quoting other people here in my analysis of Hector because I haven't seen him play a huge amount. But you do wonder if maybe he was one of those who sort of 
wrote or was on Chelsea's books at the wrong time because obviously if he came into the team now, he's more likely to get a game with Lampard sort of being willing to give sort of anyone a chance really and especially those who have done their time in mm. the in the championship you've seen mount and abraham and stuff like that um but sounds like it's worked out worked out well for fulham yeah and i think a great thing for fulham also with signings that people often mistake like overlook is that as a london club we have all the it's very easy for us to get loan deals from bigger london clubs like chelsea for example yeah and I think there's always been that sort of, that despite being rivals, we've always, a good example, I think it's Lucas Piazon came from Chelsea. Yeah. Was Calas at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Calas was at Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've, yeah, no, there's, find, there's, there's plenty of, ex- I can't think of them off the top of my head. Well, that, there's three right there. Calas, Piazon and, and Hector, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and no, I agree with you. Um, it's ironic uh, on a podcast where a Chelsea fan's talking to a Fulham fan sort of is a perfect metaphor because I honestly think and I think the fans of both teams would um, agree with this. It's possibly the friendliest um, local rivalry yeah. in football, really, because the two clubs do seem to have a um, a, a brilliant working relationship. In fact, mm. I have a, this, this is totally off the cuff and it's just occurred to me, but a an anecdote I have about the relationship between Chelsea and Fulham is that when I was very young and I went on a stadium tour of Stamford Bridge, which don't forget is actually in the borough of Fulham itself when you talk yeah. about location. And um, this was in the days of uh, William Gallas at Chelsea and the the tour guide around Stamford Bridge, who you know I assume was uh, involved with the club in some way, was telling a story that uh, in the Mourinho days at Chelsea, they the players used to do a chant where they'd go, who are we? Who are we? Chelsea, Chelsea, something like that. Yeah. And, it, and they got a different player to do it every week. And then it came to William Gallas, um, whose who's English wasn't great. And he accidentally said, where are we? Where are we? To which all the players sort of went, uh, Fulham. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as I said, totally off the cuff, but a nice little anecdote about Chelsea <laughs> and Fulham there. Right, we'll ask, uh, we've probably got time for one more, um, and that is uh, that is a favourite of mine, and that is favourite match ever. I think as a Fulham fan, especially the era that I've come in, that is quite an easy question to answer. Mm-hmm. I think it has to be Fulham v Juventus. I thought that might be the answer, yeah. yeah. Just, just talk to us a bit about that night. It was, I, we had been, we were in a position where we weren't, I think it was 3-1, I'm not exactly sure what the away fixture was. Uh, the the away fixture, I think you lost three one, and then obviously yeah. you won four one. And then, yeah. and so against Juventus, even though I don't think it's the same club that it was that it is now. Yeah, for for Fulham, it was a mountain um, to climb, and it was just a case of it. It felt like it. I think it. I think it was a case of because we had almost just come out of the Great Escape, had a season, and it looked mm-hmm. like the squad was. There's a lot of teams with very underrated squads, and I think that's the case for Fulham during the Euros because I think people don't realise how much depth they had in that team. I think during that game, Musa um, Dembele was actually benched. Right or Dem- No, I think it was Dempsey was benched. Yeah, and. For, for a team like that to be able to bench a player like that in a game like that, 
is mm-hmm. it's quite um amazing but also what i think people forget is that season in in the europa league it, you can't you can't put it down to luck we beat juventus wolfsburg and um hamburg i think mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's just it was it was quite a romantic story i think everyone who was watching football during that time sort of were warming towards fulham for that reason yeah absolutely and this was the and- same time where people would come to Craven Cottage, despite it being one of the nicest stadiums in the country. Mm-hmm. And it, we would, it was a fortress for us. It was almost like, what, um, what Stokes ground? Uh, Bet365 uh, Bet Stadium, but I think it's got yeah. another name. But yeah, Bet365 Stadium. Yeah, that, that, that ground before has been known as a fortress. And that, yeah. those days, were that was kind of how it was for Fulham. Um, and it's also... It's also I think it shows how great a manager Roy Hodgson was as well to yeah. go to a team that was inevitably going to get relegated, mm-hmm. again, apparently, keep it up, and then a season later to put us into the Europa League final. It's one of the biggest turnarounds, I think, in, in English football that, that a team has experienced. And I think it's something that really isn't possible in today's game. Yeah, do you know what? That is a really, really good point. And I think what it is easy to forget now, but actually Fulham did a lot for Hodgson in that you sort of plucked him out of the wilderness. At the time, I remember when Roy Hodgson got the the Fulham job, it was sort of a case of who the hell is that really? Because he's obviously had an extremely long managerial career, but he hadn't really done anything in England for like 10 years up until that point. And obviously since then, he's gone on to... It's a great thing. So it was sort of a, a, a classic one of those moments where it worked out both for the manager and the club. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think it's 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 quite hard. It's I think also with the way managers work now, it really does show you how different football has become. That um, I, I'm thinking of how Roy Hodgson was viewed then. And I think the the coaching in football has gone to another level recently with Klopp, Guardiola, Mourinho, who I don't think Hodgson can compete with really. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in those days, it's it's almost it it's, it feels quite well. It is, isn't it? It's it's quite um, it's, it feels vintage almost, and it's like yes. uh, I, I don't know how to put it, but it's. No, no, I totally know what you mean. Better than it actually was as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, it, it was like I, I totally get you. You can't imagine a team like Fulham getting to the Europa League final today because it. I do think the level has gone up in coaching, and I also think that even with the Europa League in particular as a competition, the bigger sides now want to win that more. So it's I it's you know it's rare that you see a team like Fulham getting that far because it you know the bigger clubs in Europe target that as a trophy that they want to win. Yeah, I mean, isn't it? Um, Man United recently faced Salzburg, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And you see the gulf in class, really. This and even though Man United are a team that have struggled a lot in the Premier League this year, yeah, it was a case of. Igalo giving the game of his life in the Euro- Europa League. And I mean, oh, yeah, it's just the one we scored the absolute world. Yeah. It? And then he was um, playing really well the whole match as well. And I think you almost feel sorry for smaller clubs that this is a player 
who is sitting on the Chelsea bench. Actually, I think it's a bit of a shame too, because you think of the quality on like Man City's bench. A great example is Phil Foden. Yeah. And the amount of damage he could do if he was at a team like Southampton playing in the Premier League. Or... Yeah, absolutely. Though, having said that, it does look like he Foden is finding his chance, especially when... David Silver um, is leaving, yeah. David Silver is leaving. Yeah, absolutely. I think he must have been talked to about that at the beginning of the season. It must have mm-hmm. sort of been planned almost, because I think he would have asked to leave or go out on loan, at least on loan, because he knows he's he wouldn't have got playtime at the beginning of the season. Or much mm-hmm. time. I don't know what the in, in, in goings of Manchester City, but um, I think what was the game recently where he played really well? The the Burnley one, yeah, the yeah. Burnley one. I mean, if Man City are looking for a trade deal, I'll trade um, Tom Kearney for Phil Foden any day. <laughs> you really should be manager of Fulham with the amount of yeah. signings you've tried to make over the course of this podcast. Yeah, Christensen, Foden. <laughs> <laughs> right, Fred. Well, we will we will call it there. It's been one of my one of my favourite podcasts to do. It's been great to talk to you. Um, and uh, just as a message to the listeners, um, this is obviously the sixth one of these now, and um, it's been really great to do them so far. But I'm sort of going to try and um, promote it a bit better. Try and raise the the amount of listeners that we've got on there. Um, and if you are listening for the first time, and obviously you support a club that hasn't been on yet do get in contact with me because I am eventually going to run out of people I know that support teams. I've still got a few left, I have to add. But I would really, really like to hear from someone who thinks that perhaps they've got a club that not many people support or isn't featured very regularly um, because that would be great to to have you on. So do get in touch on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Um, And yes, I will be trying to um, further the reach of diehards and glory hunters um in the coming weeks so thank you very much fred thanks for coming on buddy um and i'll sure i'll be speaking to everyone soon